0: Welcome to the Demand Excellence Podcast. I am your host, Coach Jonathan Guess, and today on the podcast, I have Coach Jerry Palmieri. Coach Palmieri was the head strength coach for the New York Giants. Before I talk more about him, I want to let everybody know the book that I wrote, Demand Excellence, is now on, or you can buy it as an e-book. So it's now on ebook, or however you would say that, but it's an ebook now, and you can find it at elcafaster.com, e-l-c-a-faster.com, or my Twitter handles at elcafootball. Um, it's a good book, uh, I believe. So uh, it's about being a Christian football coach. I think you would enjoy it. I don't claim to know more than anybody else, but for that competitive soul, that man that loves football and loves to win, but struggles with his pursuit of Jesus Christ and the balance of all that, I think you would enjoy it. But back to Coach Jerry Paul Mary. Coach Paul Mary won two Super Bowls with the New York Giants. Here's his career path UNC, Oklahoma State. He became the head strength coach at Kansas State, and then he went to Boston College where he got on with Tom Coughlin. Then he went to the Jaguars, and then he went to the New York Giants. Really love the things that he has to say. He gets into the details of periodization and his faith and his walk with Jesus Christ as a man at the top of the NFL profession. We get into talking a little bit about Odell Beckham Jr., and he views Odell Beckham in a very favorable light, gives us a, gives us a different perspective of Odell Beckham Jr., talks about Eli Manning and some other guys. It's just a great show. I also want to give, uh, let you know about his book that's about to be coming out. It's called Strength Training for Football. It's written, uh, or I think the publisher is Human Kinetics. So you can go to Human Kinetics and find it, but all you have to do is look for Strength Training for Football, and Coach Palmieri helped write that book. Also, I want to encourage everybody to read the book called The Golden Age of Strength and Conditioning. Coach Paul Mary has a chapter in there. It's phenomenal, but it basically takes the top strength and conditioning professionals and who developed the profession, and it goes through chapter by chapter how they grew the strength and conditioning profession. It's a great book, The Golden Age of Strength and Conditioning. I really think you'll enjoy it. Uh, the lead author on this or the lead organizer was Chip Sigmund. I had him on the uh, podcast a few weeks ago. But go get this book. I've read it. It's awesome. The Golden Age of Strength and Conditioning. I hope you guys enjoy the podcast with Coach Palmieri today. I know you started out your career, one of the beginning stops was with uh, North Carolina, Chapel Hill, UNC, and I think to gain the uh, interest of the listener, what was it like to coach Michael Jordan as a strength and conditioning coach? Like, what was he like?
1: Well, I do wish you to make the word coach loosely. I was a very young coach at the time, and uh, we had a young staff, and our basically Mike Moss was in charge of football, and – the rest of us, um, Chip Springman, Holly Dart, and myself, uh, along with Steve Nelson, later on the, the next year, we were assigned to Woolen Gymnasium, where all the Olympic sports trained. And uh, basketball, obviously, was one of the sports that we trained. And the beauty of training those guys was Coach Dean Smith, was such a a great coach, uh, and i probably call him a three-dimensional coach, but he... He held those guys to a higher standard. Unless you get the time that Sam Perkins, if you remember that name, he was one of uh, Michael's teammates, a little bit older than him. And uh, he showed up late for our list session. And I mean, I mean, like maybe a minute late. And uh, the next morning, those assistant coaches had him out in uh, Carmichael Arena running stairs with a vest on. So. There was great discipline, great character in that team. And that's exactly what Michael was as well. You know, I, um, I can't recall Michael being a, a, a great worker or, or other than just coming in and, and doing exactly what he was told to do and, and, and being a, a great, uh, athlete to train. Um, I think as he advanced in, in his career, he was able to wrap around, uh, the whole strength training world. As he got with uh, Albert Meal and he re- the Chicago Bulls and realized that he had to get bigger in order to compete uh, the way he wanted to compete among some of the stars in the, uh, in the NBA. But he was uh, just a pleasant individual on this get time. One of the joys was we all would take turns in leading the, uh, the abdominal exercises prior to the, the uh, lift session. I put him through an ab routine and I was walking across campus and uh, right there by the student union, there was Michael. He saw me, he goes, Oh no, Hey, you stay with me. As he grabbed his abs, you know, as, he, as they were still hurting from the day before, yeah. such a great person and uh, uh, such a phenomenal athlete and a guy who was uh, easy to coach because he did everything he told him to do. And um, you know, I still have visions in my head. uh, teach him how to power clean. And as I, I said in the book that I the story about him when I wrote Thank God it didn't hurt him. Right. I was so young and inexperienced at that time, and um, but it was such a great experience and great memories of a of a great athlete and a and a great institution and a great basketball program as well as the other sports. So UNC has a dear place in my heart. Coach, you talked about
0: three-dimensional coaching right there, and I know FCA is a big part of who you are and. Talk about, you said, Dean Smith, three-dimensional coaching. To the listener out there, tell them what three-dimensional coaching is and your involvement uh, with FCA and and maybe even how it's influenced you as a coach.
1: Well, three-dimensional coaching is coaching the athlete in all three dimensions of his or her being, the body, the mind, and the heart. The first dimension, the body, are the fundamentals of the game. And that's X and O's, repetition, technique, strength and conditioning, things that we as coaches, every one of us, have to do. If you can't coach in the first dimension, you can't coach. Unfortunately, 80% of all coaches are only fundamental, uh, only first dimensional coaches. The second dimension deals with the mind and the psychology of the sport, motivation, team cohesion, goal setting. uh, the team chemistry. And only about 20% of the coaches will coach in both the first and second dimension. Now, the third dimension involves the heart, and that's the, um, self identity, character, significance, where you really invest in, into an individual's, uh, character and who they are. And that's where you get down is when you really care for an athlete and they know you love them, they're going to give back to you. They're going to compete for you because they don't want to let you down. They want to, they appreciate you and they love you. And they're so motivated by by being in your presence. So when you're a a three-dimensional coach, coaching the physical, which you all got to do, coaching the mental and preparing them for the game and then coaching the heart and developing that character. Uh, and instilling ha- and, and the motivation to be successful from within rather than external rewards, you get a higher performing athlete. And if you want to know how well you coach the heart of your athletes, see where they are 20 years later. And that'll tell you how well you coach the heart of the athlete.
0: What, what are some things that Dean Smith did as a three-dimensional coach? Like you're a young coach a young strength and conditioning coach and you get to watch somebody like Dean Smith and probably learn more than you realized you were learning. What are some things when you think about three-dimensional coach and you, and I ask you about Dean Smith, do you think about?
1: I know one thing he did is he required that all of his uh, freshmen went to church. And um, I know one guy said, well, well, my mom would admit to go to church back home. He said, well, all right, but you have your mom call me and tell me, tell me she doesn't want you to go to church and you'll be excused. And that never happened. Right. <laughs> and again, he in a different era than than today, but it was obvious he instilled the spiritual element into his athletes. Another thing he did was, I understand that he required all freshmen to to carry the equipment from the bus into the gym when they arrived someplace. And the better you were, the more you carried. Huh. And they said that Michael Jordan was carrying about everything. So he, he taught them humility. He taught them teamwork. Uh, you know, one thing you, I always recall, when they finished the game, they just left, left the court, win or lose. You know, they, they, they didn't hang around, you know, hoopla, drawing attention to themselves. A very disciplined type program, and he cared about that and one thing he did if I recall now, now as I was on talking, g are coming back right is that when he recruited an athlete sometime in the four years that athlete was was competing for him, he scheduled a game close to their home, yeah, so so he wanted every athlete to have a chance to play in front of his you know, quote-unquote hometown, even though it couldn't be, it could be his hometown, but somewhere in that vicinity of where he was from. So those are things that he, he he demanded of his athlete. You know, John Wooden was a was a three-dimensional coach. You read all the stuff about John Wooden. It was about playing hard. It was about character. It was about – it wasn't about winning. If you, did all the, if you did all the things that he taught you to do, play hard, compete, uh, never quit, then before long, you will win on the board. But whether you want or lost on the board, you would be a winner uh, in, the out, in, the, in the end result. Um,
0: Coach, after UNC, you went to Oklahoma State, and in the book you say you work for Coach John Stuckey, and you call him your professional daddy. So what did you learn from him? Obviously, you learned a lot. What are, what are the things that he helped you – uh, learned that became a staple of, of who you were or are?
1: Well, it, it, it's kind of hard to narrow it down in, in, a, in a couple short sentences, coach, but, you know, he was such a man of God. He instilled in you uh, character and work ethic. But the thing that I, I, one of the first things I remember John teaching me was he said, Jerry, people do what you inspect, not what you expect. And you have to hold the guys accountable and you have to coach you have to be involved. And that was a staple throughout my career, regardless of whatever level I was coaching at. When the athletes were there, I was coaching them. You know, I, would, I wouldn't write a program up and then sit in my office and let, let my assistants do the job. I was the one who was going to be out there coaching them, motivating them, encouraging them, um, pushing them, because that's what I wanted to do. And I felt bad if when we had groups, if I couldn't, if I didn't touch somebody, you know, if I didn't get enough time around somebody, I made it a point to um, get around that athlete to get the next, the next workout session. And there were times where I actually went up to a, an athlete and said, listen, I apologize. I really didn't get around you very much. I was tied up with a couple of these newcomers that required a little more of my time. And uh, I think the athletes appreciated that. They know that you cared about them, they know that you love them and uh, that will uh, stimulate them to work harder for you. So that was one of the things that, that – uh, probably the most important thing that I learned from Coach Stuckey is holding guys accountable and being out there on the floor, coaching them, motivating them, and, and basically mm-hmm. doing your job.
0: So I want to talk about periodization. Um, and, and as a high school coach – we know, we know what it is. It's, it's pretty tough to, to do it with all the different breaks and, and kids being three-sport athletes and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but, I'm a, you know, in the book, you talked about how this, this became a critical piece of, of your coaching philosophy. Can you talk a little bit about what it is and how you incorporate it um, as a strength coach?
1: Well, periodization is a systematic organization Um, of your training. So how are you going to train the athletes over the years? And it's bringing them to a point, uh, bringing them to a goal over a period of time. And then you design your program to accomplish that goal uh, within that period of time. So, for example, I think um, when you're dealing with a high school, and I recently was involved in a, a book by the National Strength and Conditioning Association called Strength Training for Football. I think it's coming out at the end of the summer. Okay. Um, right now, in the hands of the publisher. But in a high school athlete, and I recommend this to some local high school coaches here in New Jersey, is you take the, you take the seasons that you're involved in. So, I don't know, you know, your, your, your fall season, obviously in football, you're, you're in an in season type program. And then you, you get into winter, and I guess, I guess it's about 15 weeks or so, or, or 12 weeks. You design a program. That that goes about a 15 weeks. You start with a hypertrophy phase, a, a strength phase, and then a strength and power phase. And so those athletes who are not involved in that sport, they get a full cycle of training. And then when the app, and then you go into the spring, you kind of repeat the cycle. You may change some things up, but again, you go back to hypertrophy, hypertrophy phase, basic strength, strength and power, so that when those athletes come off of that their winter sports, now they get into training in the spring, they're right through with the other guys. Now, therefore, you know, the, so everyone could be on the same program. Now, let's face the athletes that were, were strength trainers, athletes are only in one sport athlete, the football athlete, and they trained all through the winter, and now they're into the spring. They're training again. They may be at a higher level uh, strength-wise, but they're still on a similar type of program. Right. It allows you as a coach to organize it and keep the athletes together and, uh, and training. It's important to try to keep the athletes training through their in-season program. Uh, I know it's difficult, but, you know, doing a a -a two-day-a-week program to keep them engaged in their their strength training uh, is critical uh, throughout their in-season, not only to help them perform within the sport, but also stay uh, physically fit and, and, and uh, developed as they enter into the next phase of of course, you get into the summer, and most kids are not involved in sports in summer. I know someone involved in club sports, but at some point, a kid has to realize I got to train through some of these sports because uh, if my primary goal is football, then um, they have to train through it and realize that you not know, yeah, it might be a little sore as I compete, but my ultimate goal is football. So your prioritization is designed to help you be a good football player or whatever your goals are. You know, so you got to train through some of the the sports you compete pe- compete in. I, I don't mean, you know, a four-day-a-week program, you know, even a basketball season, but you can get two or even three days a weekend, full-body exercises, so it'll be efficient training, and then uh, uh, continue to get results.
0: The three phases that you were talking about, can you talk about like, – give us a little synopsis of three phases, like I, I assume – uh your first phase is is four weeks, second phase four weeks, you know, third phase, four weeks, something like that. Can you talk about each little phase for uh just to give us an overview of yeah. it?
1: Yeah, uh you can divide it up however you want to divide it up, four weeks or three weeks. So I wouldn't wouldn't go more than four weeks. I typically go three weeks. And what I do after each phase I, I I will have what's called the variation week week and where the intensities will be uh decreased and the volume of exercise will be increased it's kind of a recovery week so basically i start off with the hypertrophy phase which is a a strength endurance repetitions tend to be high uh eight to ten repetitions and you're, you're building the hypertrophy of the muscle in preparation for the heavy training to follow then you go through your, your unload week, as I just discussed, and then you come back with three or four weeks of your strength phase, which is basically somewhere in the vicinity of, uh, you know, four to, or four to six repetitions, uh, getting pure strength. And then you, you have another uh, unload or variation week, and then you get into your strength and power phase where your uh, loads are down into the uh, – um, singles and, and triples down to that phase down there. So you're, you're bringing the athlete into a a level of high weight, uh, low repetitions. You're starting with high volume, high repetitions, low weight, and you're increasing the weight and decreasing the reps as you go along.
0: So for the high school football coach out there, and I know you talk about this in, in your chapter of the book where – you know, when you're getting involved into being a strength and conditioning coach, you start to learn this stuff. Why are high volume, which is lots of reps, like 15 bench press reps, why is that not good for a football player, but you're working them towards lower reps? What's the difference in the volume, volume being more reps, low volume being uh, smaller reps? What's the difference from a strength standpoint in developing a football player?
1: Well in your, your higher reps and when I say higher reps I'm mainly talking about ten reps. Okay. Uh but you're you're dealing with lower weight and uh you're developing hypertrophy size of the muscle. But when you get down into lower reps and a higher weight, that's where you're really developing strength and power. And the football player is a strength and power athlete and have to be able to to be quick and to uh, when you get into those heavier loads, you're increasing the speed at which they, the athlete can respond, uh, can respond and move at because it's a power-type movement, especially if you're using the Olympic lifts and the, uh, um, those type of full-body movements. Now, I just want to just clarify, since so I did mention Olympic lifts. Now, when I say 10 reps, I would never do any Olympic lifts for, for more than five reps. Okay. So uh, because of the technique involved in those, and the fatigue factor, if an athlete gets fatigued, obviously injury can result. So um, I would never go more than five repetitions in those uh, Olympic lifts. I've spent a lot of time around the threes and the twos and then getting down to the singles as well as we uh, progress over over this, uh, the the period of training.
0: Coach, your, your first head strength coach job, we talked about your time at Oklahoma State. Your, your first head strength coach job was at Kansas State um, in 1987. Uh, what are some memorable moments from that time and some lessons learned? Um, I know in the book you talk about Russ Campbell and the character of, of such a football player, and I know that's one of the memorable moments. Talk about your time there at Kansas State.
1: Well, one thing I would recall is not a very positive but my first three years at kansas state our record was 1 31 and 1. oh yeah we were soon to we we're soon to be dubbed the losingest football program in the history of the ncaa wow uh Stan Parrish parish hired me in 1987 which i was very grateful for coach parish was a good man we just didn't get it done as a staff and then bill snyder was hired um Probably at the end of 1988, and his first season was 1989. And our first game uh, that we won was uh, the play was on the last, it was the last play of the game against the powerhouse team of North Texas State. And uh, i am just be a little facetious there. And
0: yeah,
1: um, it was a fade pass into the end zone. Frank Hernandez and caught the ball on the very last play of the game, no time on the clock. We won the game. The fans rushed the field, tore down the goalposts, acting as if we had just won a national championship. <laughs> and all we did was win one game. But that was the start. That was the start of a phenomenal career for Coach Snyder and all that he's done. And the biggest turnaround in in the history of football It's tremendous. He uh, he built character. He instilled work ethic. Um, he was uh, uh, a, a true disciplinarian as far as uh, making guys work. Uh, so it wasn't a matter. He was a hardcore rule kind of guy. Uh, although he did maintain order and demand uh, people follow those type of orders. Right. But he was it, he was real disciplined in learning and and doing the work and holding guys. Uh, accountable. So uh, you mentioned Russ Campbell. My first year there, uh, Russ came into the weight room. He was with his his, <clears throat> his with his mom and dad, and he had just left the Air Force Academy. He had gone to the Air Force Academy hoping to play football, and he uh, was there on a scholarship. And then, uh, you know, <laughs> he told me one time they wouldn't let me eat, coach. I was losing weight yeah. so quickly. So he said he just decided that was not for him and he <laughs> left the academy. And fortunately, Kansas State had a scholarship for him and he came and you could tell immediately he, he had a, a, a spiritual foundation. He loved God, He had a great work ethic and he was determined to, to be great. And he had a nice career um, at Kansas State but he really became part of my family an older brother to my children and uh, um, kind of another son to my wife, Ellen and I, and we invested in his life. And what a joy. I just came back this past weekend from a weekend of honoring coach Snyder, his retirement and all his accomplishments. And I spent the weekend with Russ, and we got to reminisce old times. And when you look at coaching the third dimension of the athlete, you know, when I uh, when I got transi- transitioned out of the weight room, when Coach Coughlin got fired with the New York Giants, and I spent my last year of my career in the uh, uh, in the personnel department. Russ called me, as well as many of the athletes called me, but Russ said, "Coach, the ideals you taught me 25 years ago, I now use to, to lead my business team." Yeah, and so that was meaningful to me. The impact I was able to have on his life, and uh, uh, that's what coaching is all about. And the, 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 like I said, I just came back one weekend of honoring coach Snyder. So we saw, got to see a number of our athletes and to have them tell me some of the stories and the laughter that we shared about and to have that bond, um, shows that you had a positive impact on the lives of some people. And that's, uh, that's what coaching is all about. Impacting the lives of others.
0: Absolutely. So, Coach, you know,
1: you know go ahead. one of the significant statements in three-dimensional coaching actually is a quote by Billy Graham. One coach will impact more people in one year than the average person does in a lifetime. Right. And as coaches, you have a tremendous impact. You are going to impact the athletes you, you coach, positively or negatively, you will impact. You know, they say the most powerful phrase in the English language is coach says. Coach yeah. said, you're going to hear you. And more times than not, they're going to do what you tell them to do. So what are you telling them? What, what, is, your, what is your character conveying to them? So that's very important for a coach to understand.
0: Coach, in, um, so in 1993, uh, you became the head strength coach at Boston College. Um, same, same question. I mean, you're growing as a coach, you're learning more and more as you go. What are some memorable moments there and, um, and what are some lesson learned and, and how did that propel you into becoming the head strength coach in 1995
1: for the Jaguars? Well, Coach Coughlin was a lot like Bill Snyder and the things they believed in, doing things right, holding guys accountable their personalities were significantly different at opposite ends of the spectrum. You know, Coach Kaufman was an extremely intense man. And uh, uh, guys responded to him. And he held guys accountable. And it didn't matter if you were a star player or bottom guy on the on the roster. He was going to hold you accountable. In fact, I think he cherished the opportunity when a star messed up. And he had to discipline him because he right. just wanted to show there was no favoritism on his team. And, you know, memorable moments. Well, one they I always said, the most fun I ever had coaching was coaching on the Tom Coughlin at Boston College because I never had a disciplinary problem. Yeah. I, I never dealt with, never had to deal with it. It was just, yes, sir. No, sir. Yep, absolutely. And the kids worked hard. They were fun to work with. They were tough kids, a lot of Northeastern tough kids. And uh, they competed hard. We had that great game back in 1993 against uh, Notre Dame. Notre Dame was ranked number one in the country. And we went up to South Bend, and we beat them. And uh, it was a tremendous game and a very memorable. And then Coach went on to the Jackson Jaguars as the head coach of that franchise, actually before they had players. So in 1994, the franchise was in existence, but there were no players, so he was – going through the process. And I stayed back at uh, BC and uh, under Coach Henning. And we had some great games there. And the bowl game we went to that year was at the Aloha Bowl. And uh, went back and beat the team that I had left, Kansas State. And our guys really showed up and played. It was a great game. And uh, it was a great way to lead college football.
0: So, um, So what was the major difference and being an NFL strength coach and being a college strength coach once, once you got with the Jaguars?
1: Well, I think we you have to realize is that now you're dealing with grown men. So when you're in college, you were kind of a father figure to, the, uh, to your athletes. Let's face it, they, they left home. Mom and dad are states away. And now you become a father figure. You're, you're, you're dealing with them on their, their academics. You're dealing with them on you know, maybe a relationship that they have with their their girlfriend, or or for the women, you ask, you women, female athletes, their their boyfriends, and so you're you're developing that kind of relationship with them as you're coaching them. But when you get to the NFL, these guys are are grown men, so they don't look to you as a father figure; they look to you as a peer, and you have to realize that as you communicate to them, that that's a significant difference. Uh, we've tried to start trying to be their father, then they're going to turn you off. Yeah. But from a training standpoint, um, the thing is that I always felt is you have your training philosophy, you have your goals and you have your beliefs and you have to be able to accomplish those goals and fulfill that philosophy in a number of different ways. The NFL athlete has tremendous amount of training experience under them. So, Along with that, along with years while playing football, there are injuries and there are limitations that they have. They can't do certain lifts. So, you know, I'm a big Olympic lift guy and a, and, a, and a power lift guy. I believe, you know, squats, bench, clean, snatches, jerks, all those movements are, are important in developing the football athlete. Or well, if you have a guy who um, has significant uh history of knee tendinitis, well he may not be able to do the plyometrics that you want so you have to do some in-place jumps to counteract uh that or, or to accomplish the goals that you're trying to accomplish with plyometrics or you may have to put them on a bare squat machine which is going to take less stress off the knees than a regular squat machine or a safe bar squat as opposed to a straight bar squat so um yeah, you know, some athletes with back problems and they can't do, they can't clean with the bar. Maybe they can do dumbbell cleans or dumbbell snatches. So you have to have a um, a lot of options in your toolbox to accomplish the goals that you want to accomplish and fulfill your philosophy uh, while training around the limitations of your athletes.
0: I and mean, that's something you don't even think about uh, when, when dealing with high school athletes. Use it, most of the time, they're they're fresh, they're they're healthy. Coach you spent um eleven years uh with the New York Giants, and uh, I think your last year as a strength coach there was two thousand sixteen um What are some of your greatest experiences there and um you know at this and did you continue to learn during those eleven years or or what had you already was your philosophy and uh, already set in stone and and this is how you were gonna do it
1: well just to clarify, I was I had 12 years as a strength coach for the Giants, and okay. my last year was the 2015 season. Okay. Uh, After that season, they released Coach Kaufman and then they moved me to um, a position in personnel for the last year of my contract. So exciting times there were, you know, winning two Super Bowl championships. I mean, it's it it, it amazes me that. Uh, that had the opportunity to do that and be part of uh uh two great teams that we had i when i left the giants i looked at my my sorry when i left college football i looked at my wife. Said, well babe no rings on my fingers i I never got a ring from ball game and uh, she said that's okay babe the lord's saving that ring for the big one (laughs) and i kind of chuckled and then for him to bless me with with two Super Bowl rings, that's um, that's kind of hard to explain, the thrill and the excitement of experience and all of that. Eli Manning is such a great individual, great person, and uh, I had the privilege to coach him from his rookie year um, through his 12th year, and just a a great person, a great athlete. And I spent uh, a lot of time with Eli during the season. He always came in on Tuesday for an extra workout. Tuesday was a player's day off and he always came in it was a one-on-one session with me.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, we had a regular lift session and we we did some medicine ball drills, we did abs together and it was a time where we just spent um just talking to each other, communicating to each other and just just sharing in conversation as we lifted and um that was done every Tuesday during in season. Um at the time that I was his strength coach. So it was a real, um, a real privilege to do that. And, a um, very special time for me. And, you know, he always said it was special for him too. So, um, it was a rewarding time as far as growing professionally. I think, you know, the, uh, technology advanced in, in strength and conditioning with the GPS training and, uh, we utilized GPS during my latter years there. And, uh, just realizing the the stress that uh, players come under and that you have to watch the stress and therefore you have to sometimes create more recovery for them um, I'm a driver that that's that's my personality as, as a coach and I want to push athletes and and I want to work I and mean, sometimes you have to you know back off a certain ath- athlete due to the stress he's experiencing on the field. I don't like doing that. It's it's not in my character, not in my nature, but sometimes you have to be a little smart with certain guys. Now, I don't. I, I think that's the exception rather than the rule. But you, um, um, especially when you're you're, if you're down in your receivers, I'm not sure in high school you have a lot of receivers. I'm sure, but you know we only had six receivers on the on our NFL roster, including the practice squad. Yeah. So if you had two receivers that were down. That means four receivers are taking all those reps. And if you don't make some adjustments, whether, you, whether the position coach doesn't make those adjustments or, the, or you as a strength coach make those adjustments, that athlete's not going to be ready to perform come Sunday plus of the volume that he did during the week. So those are things you have to be aware of that when somebody gets hurt, somebody else has to take on that workload. And when you have a bunch of athletes like you do in high school, that's really a problem. Or you deal with an older athlete and you have a limited roster. That can be a significant factor. Right. So those are some of the things that I learned as, as so I advanced my career in the NFL.
0: Talking about receivers and how did you, you know, you talk about the, 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 the easy guys to coach like Eli Manning. And, you know, the, the, those are quality relationships, but you know, there with the Giants, you had Odell Beckham Jr., uh, and maybe he was easy to coach as well. Um, what's it like working with big personalities like that?
1: Well, I loved Odell Beckham, and I, I stand by him at any point. Now, yeah. I know he's made some poor decisions uh, that everybody reads about or hears about whenever he does, but he was a, a great person for me he worked hard for me. I had him the first two years in the NFL. Uh, he was a great worker. Uh, I did make an adjustment for him one time because we were doing legs on, on Wednesday after practice. He said, Coach, can I come in on Thursday and do my leg workout? Because I really want to do it hard. And I don't want to affect my practice the next day. And so I said, Yeah, I'll make that exception for you. And every every week he came in on that Thursday. And he got after it with cleans, squats, the whole deal. So um, he was always a good kid for me. And uh, he listened. You know, he, you just sit him down. You can talk to him, communicate to him. And uh, we still have some contact uh, uh, today as years have gone by. So um, I think he's a great kid. Now, you do have some big personalities, but I worked for a phenomenal coach in Coach Coughlin. And, and he laid the law down. He said, hey, it's our way. It's the New York Giants way. That's the way you're gonna do it. So when you have a a coach who's strong like he is, then it's uh, uh, it makes your job as a strength coach a lot easier. And sometimes you gotta massage some guys just, hey, I'm gonna I change this up for you. You know, when you're really not changing much of anything up, but he thinks he he thinks you are. You know, right. so you play that game a little bit with them. Uh, but I, you know, Michael Strahan. Uh, what a great guy he is, and just a, a good person. Uh, Justin Tuck, uh, you know, they're, they're all different type uh, of personality, but we had some great athletes, great players come through the New York Giants. And uh, I think the bottom line is, Coach, is when you care for your athletes and they know you care for them and you have their best interest at heart, they're going to do what you ask them to do. Yeah. You know, if, if you're just paid. This is what I'm gonna do, there's no rhyme or reason for it, and it's about killing you, making you throw up. Well, you know, hey, anybody can make somebody throw up. That ain't right. hard to do. Right. Okay. That doesn't mean you're a good coach. And that doesn't mean you're you're getting you guys to be to be tough. Okay, and and I don't know if anyone ever threw up after my workout. I, yeah. I saw one guy I saw one guy this weekend, he threw up after my warm up.
2: Back (laughs) to Kansas
1: State, and we were getting on. I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" That's just the up And then later, we found out he had 13 ulcers in his stomach. Oh, so uh, so so we had that conversation this uh, this weekend in front of his wife. We all laughed about it. So, uh, but seriously, I think um, you know there's there's nothing special about making somebody go up to your work. It's that hard. I mean, anybody can do that. But having wisdom, having rhyme and reason having a periodization in place where you're going to train your athletes with a certain goal and do it systematically. And uh, that's what true training is all about.
0: Um, so uh, last few questions, coach, um, talk about your relationship with Jesus Christ. And I mean, my, you know, I guess what I'm curious about is uh, I mean, you're at the top of your profession. It's a, you know, the, the coaching world is egotistical. Um, so how, did, how was it being a Christian and, and a believer in the NFL, working in the NFL, and how has it impacted your coaching philosophy? You've already talked about three-dimensional coaching. You've talked a lot about that. But just talk about the challenges, if any, uh, of being an outspoken believer in Jesus Christ and in the NFL.
1: Well, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and uh, he's the number one uh, being in my life. Everything stems down from him and I didn't preach Jesus in the weight room. I didn't demand anything from anybody to be a Christian or in that nature. But when they asked me questions, they knew they were gonna get a response from a biblical point of view. And so when they asked me questions regarding, uh, whether it be cultural questions or my beliefs on something, they were gonna get a, a, a response from a biblical point of view. And, you know, basically, I wanted to love my athletes. I wanted to create an environment of love so that when the guys wanted to come in to train rather than having to come in to work out, that was important to me. And then, you know, as, as we had discussions in life, you know, guys would come to you and ask you to pray for them. Guys that you didn't even know were spiritual, but they seen your life and they seen Jesus living your life, that they kind of knew that you were a spiritual person. And sometimes they ask you questions, and, and I, recall, I recall young men young of telling me that, hey, coach, I started reading the Bible. And then that opened the door. Then we began to have discussions as far as uh, what he was reading and, and what he was discussing, what he was learning. And uh, so it just kind of flowed that way. But I think you've got to remember, wherever you're at, if you're a Christian, you're a Christian every place your life. You're not just a Christian on Sunday. You're a Christian in, in the weight room. You're a Christian on, on the athletic field. You're a Christian in your home. You know, Jesus is, you either all for Jesus or you're none for Jesus. And I think you just live your life for him and then the love of, of Christ is going to flow. Right. So, um, you know, socially, Hey, there was a time I said, nah, you know, no, nah, I'm sorry, I'm not interested guy. guys. Thank you. I appreciate the, the invite. Um, or, well, you know, when I would never opposed to going into, uh, a bar and somebody invited me to it, but I just chose not to, not to drink. That was just not what I did. Right. And, um, you know, I just, uh, just tried to be who I was. They knew who I was and, uh. I think they respected me for who I was because I was consistent with my lifestyle.
0: Absolutely. Coach, what, how about balancing a family, um, being a husband, uh, having a family uh, with, with the uh, commitment of an NFL strength and conditioning job? How did you balance that?
1: Well, I decided a long time ago that if I'm going to be a coach – and put all the hours into my profession that it demands. I'm gonna have, you know, three phases of my life. I'm gonna have a spiritual phase, I'm gonna have a family phase and a work phase. So basically that meant my social life existed around my family. Right. I didn't have a night where I went out with the boys. I didn't, you know, I I didn't go play golf. Um I thought I was, that was a good excuse not to play golf because so it wasn't any good, you know, but
0: um, <laughs> yeah,
1: you know, I just couldn't see spending four hours on a golf course, which really might take five hours a day by the time you get there and, and, and leave, when I was going to spend, you know, 12 hours a day at work. So, you know, we spent our time at church, we spent our time doing devotions, and uh, I spent my time working, and the rest of my time was with, with my wife and kids, and... That's how it is today, too. My wife and I spent a great deal of time together. I was fortunate as a strength coach. My work was done by, you know, 5, 6 o'clock. So I was able to come home and, and eat dinner with the family every night. I know position coaches have a hard time doing that. And that's difficult. And, I mean, that's one of the reasons I was glad I wasn't a position coach. Yeah. I was able to come home every night and, and be with my family. You know, summers were tough in college, because, you know, you had, you had guys that were working, guys going to school, so you had to stay, you know, keep the waking up at eight o'clock at night. And I remember my wife, you know, she, uh, I don't know how she did it, but she kept that, she kind of changed the cycle for our kids, and we ate when I got home, so we could eat together. And uh, they went to bed, went to bed a little bit later, just so to spend some time with dad. Yeah, my wife was a, was a great asset to me, and allowed me to have that time with my kids. And she was great because she communicated everything to me. She let me know what was going on in the lives of the kids, so that there was a, I was never in the dark. And that's so important as a as a coach to have a spouse who loves you and recognizes you as a, you know, if you're the man, you're the leader of the home and the head of the household. They communicate to you. What's going on, so you can lead your family properly, and and be involved and connected. So that's that's how we kind of handled it over those years, you know, thirty four years of coaching, and uh, we've been blessed, we really have been. So,
0: Coach, last question for you: um, What is your advice to the young professionals out there? Um, you know, they, they, they probably see you and they want to work for the New York Giants as a head strength coach. What's your advice for for young professionals out there uh, that have big dreams and big hopes and big
1: desires? Well, the number one thing is you got to... This is something that Coach Stuckey taught me as well is you got to be the best you can be wherever God has you. So work hard whatever task you're given. So if you're a... Um, you're an entry-level coach at a high school. Be the best you can be at that role, whatever whatever your your coaches ask you to do. And then you're going to advance from that entry-level to an assistant, and then maybe you'll be a head coach. And then, you know, if you go to a college or a graduate assistant, be the best you can be there. And people will recognize your skills and your efforts and the intangible characteristics that you have. And then, um, you know, I truly believe, God will bless your efforts um, as you perform. So wherever you're at. Be the best you can be, and I believe God will will bless you. As a coach, in particular, a strength coach, never stop coaching your athletes. And I can honestly say, to the day I left the weight room, I coached my athletes. I never became a, an office coach, somebody I'll put up a great workout up on the board and then sit in your office or, or go do something else in the building. I was always there coaching my athletes. And... I took great pride in that. And I think uh once you stop doing that then you probably need to get a coaching. And the other thing is 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 love your athletes. You know, really care for them. Do what's best for them. And uh it's it's about the kids, it's not about you. So those are three things I guess that would kinda stand out uh of my career.
0: No coach. Awesome stuff. And, Coach, I really appreciate you talking with us. This is going to be very beneficial um, for for anybody that listens to it. I know it was very beneficial for me, and I know I'm going to listen to it again. Um, I always like to pray uh, for us as we head out, if you don't mind. Lord, we are coming for you today. I just want to praise and thank you for loving us. Lord, we praise and thank you for Coach Palmieri. And, Lord, just the example uh, that he is for you. Uh, for Jesus Christ and Your kingdom, Lord, He's such an encouragement talking to Him and just Lord, knowing a man who has reached the top of his profession, but He did it the right way. He was uh, a man who put Jesus Christ first, and Lord, You blessed Him, and Lord, in turn, uh, You used Him to impact many lives. And I just pray He would uh, His story uh, for the listener out there would be such an encouragement, Lord, and that we would follow in His footsteps. We just I pray for that You would continue to bless Him and um, whatever he continues to do. And bless his family, Lord. And the Lord's praise and thank you for men like him who are great examples for men like me. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever breathe. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Ready? And I